We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess, Chess Books Recaptured. Of course, this is a periodic book review series, and we're going to try something new for this one. We are going to review a book that is not about chess. It is, however, chess adjacent. It is called Make It Stick, The Science of Successful Learning. I think regular listeners to the pod will have heard it mentioned a few times. Those of you wonderful listeners who read my book may have noticed it was quoted a few times, and it's a brilliant book with a lot of actionable takeaways for how to study chess. So we'll be introducing our guest co-host and digging into it momentarily. Before we do that, I did want to give a quick shout out to our presenting chess education sponsors, chessable.com. Chessable, of course, is at the vanguard of some of the material that is presented from this book, The Idea of Spaced Repetition. Chessable has its move trainer technology to quiz you, which as we will be getting into, is an important component of learning, although not the only component by any means. But anyway, of course, Chessable is a crucial component of developing opening repertoires, and it's good for drilling tactics, and uh, you should check out what they have that's new. And if you sign up for Chessable Pro using the link in the description, it will help to support and sustain perpetual chess. Um, As for our guest co-host, he is actually a return guest to this pod. He is an Arizona-based emergency room physician, husband, dad, chess enthusiast. He's made significant improvement in his chess game. Uh, In episode 286, he talked about how chess sort of... uh, formed an escape for him, provided an escape for him during the pandemic, and he got increasingly into taking it seriously. Obviously, as a a medical doctor, he's also a lifelong student. Uh, Since our previous interview, which you guys should listen to if you haven't already, he's also started a great chess blog called Chess in Small Doses, where he writes about his experience as an amateur player, things that he's learned. He actually wrote two great posts about this particular book, about Make It Stick, which were sort of the impetus for getting together to do this pod. So without further rambling, I am pleased to welcome <laughs> back to the pod, Dr. Nick Vasquez. Welcome, Nick. Hey, it's good to be back. Uh, I'm going. Uh, I'm coming after Chess Von Doom for the uh, highest number of uh, repeat podcasts, uh, if I can do it. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, always a good goal. You got Dr. Shabri as competition uh, oh, yeah. as well. I know he's the one keeping the records. So um so you got to be on the <laughs> on the ball for that. But 
But yeah, this was a natural fit because I had read this for um, my book and you, of course, wrote about it for your blog. So um, I still reread the book and it still took some work, but maybe not as much as a brand new work. But but Nick, um, you, you wrote in your blog that this really sort of revolutionized your thinking. And I know you've got long experience as a um, student. So what what struck you about this book? Uh, well, so I was really appealed to it. I, I heard it mentioned in your interview with, uh, I think it was Dr. De Bruyne, um, about uh, learning. Uh, and she said this book in particular was one. I looked it up, and it's just a very simple, straightforward book. But um, it, it, after reading, it made me incredibly aggravated that as a medical student, I didn't have this. I've spent a lot of time studying for tests, preparing for tests, researching, reviewing material, uh, and I still do it. We have continuing medical education. Doctors are required and expected and really have to, uh, for their best practice, continue to stay up on what's the latest and the greatest. So it's this constant sort of return to learning, acquiring, and retaining information. And it goes all the way back to a, uh, for me, it goes all the way back to a, a, a career day that I, I was part of. And some 12-year-old asked me, how did you become a doctor? And just off the top of my head, I answered, well, I had to learn how to learn. I had to learn how to get information, retain it, retrieve it, and spit it back out again quickly. Because I don't know if you've had the experience in any type of school, but there is no way you can keep up with all the amount of material. What I did um, as a uh, as a student in college, I could not do in medical school because there was so much more material. In college, I could just read stuff, retain it at my speed. I didn't have to use any tricks. I could just retain this stuff. But in medical school, there was just too much information. You can't do that. You have to find some sort of trick to not only figure out how you're going to make it stick, but how you can repeat it with accuracy. And these techniques would have greatly simplified my medical school experience. Uh, I can't tell you the number of hours I spent reviewing and reviewing and reviewing and reviewing ad nauseum as a medical student in libraries, in coffee shops, at my home. I, I have years of my life that I'm looking at after reading this book and going, well, crap. Right. <laughs> you know, I could have done it so much better and maybe have gone for a jog. Uh, you, you know, it just it, it was just one of those so uh, transformative books for a guy like me who spends a lot of time trying to study. All of a sudden, I realized, OK, there's a better way to do this. And, and yeah. uh, it just it was really great. And I, I can see immediately when I was reading it how this applies to chess. Um, I, I could go on about my chess, but I, I think that's what we were about to start talking about is just this is just a direct one to one application of the stuff they found out in this book goes right to the chest uh, that all these adult improvers like myself are doing. You, you can apply it out of the book right away. Yeah. And we'll be sharing what we think those applications are. But Nick, first of all, in your defense, I got to say this book came out in 2014. <laughs> we were just talking yeah. about before we recorded, you were not in medical school in 2014. Um, no. So you do have that in your defense. And just to share a bit more background about this book. So it's written by two researchers and a science writer um, who basically collaborated. Two of the researchers, along with I think it was nine colleagues, were basically given a 10-year grant to mm -hmm. study what works and what doesn't in terms of like how to retain information, as Nick was discussing. And then as luck would have it, uh, through um, one of their in-laws is a, a well-respected science writer. So they were able to get together and try to sort of weave it into a narrative. Now, I wouldn't de describe this as like a page-turning narrative, but it's not, it's not bad either. You know, they try to do the sort of pop science thing with the stories weaved in um, mm. and some of the, and they cite some studies that are pretty interesting as I'm sure we'll be sharing as we go on. Um, but I wouldn't, so, but I wouldn't say it's like on the top shelf of that sort of genre, but nonetheless, like the lessons are very important. I will say if you're on the fence about actually reading it, I mean, you certainly can read it. Um, you'll definitely benefit from it, but we'll also try to highlight some of the major points and there's also all kinds and all kinds of reviews online and stuff and yeah. we'll and for this podcast we'll we'll go sort of uh, macro to micro and sort of start with as nick was saying the major chess themes and then get a little more granular for the hardcore listeners who want to stick around but um but nick so let's let's get to it so you mentioned you felt like 
it mean it made you were meant you were studying medicine wrong. Which one of their major themes is what I would say is uh, active over passive, something that comes up a lot. But the way yep. it comes up, sort of in a non-chess context, in a studying context, is don't just read and highlight. You know, stop and quiz yourself and ask yourself questions and stuff like that, um, which is not how we were trained to study as kids. Now. If you have something to add to that, feel free, Nick. But also, what yeah. about a chess context? Well, so uh, back to the, the first part about studying to add. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, the art of studying that I was taught was you just drill it. You do it. You go into it. You drill it. You repeat it. You drill it. You drill it. You drill it. And that is not the case. Um, and the immediate thing that I thought of was openings. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, immediately, I was like, wait a minute. This is what I'm doing with openings. I just open up the position again, I'm not taking a shot at Chessable. Chessable has, uh, you know, uh, sponsored a fantastic podcast of which I'm currently on. So huh. I, I, I will say what I would do differently if I was using Chessable is having learned this is instead of just doing a moves, I'd look at the position and try and imagine in my mind repeating the plans for the position. You're, you're trying to connect in your own language something. Uh, whereas when I was a medical student and previously when I first started doing uh, chessable, it's just, oh, wait, I'm supposed to do this and this. I'm supposed to move this pawn here or that. You know, you're trying to find these rote moves. In medical school, we had a whole note-taking service. This is pre, um, pre-podcast, pre-video you know, stuff. We actually sat in lecture. We actually read books. We actually had pieces of paper, and we would just review those. There was somebody who was in every class who was paid to actually take notes. We'd buy them. Uh, we'd pay for their time. We'd bu- take the notes and we'd review them, we'd highlight them or rewrite them. But it's like the art of doing that is repetition. Repetition, they call mass practice in this. And mass practice is really like cramming. Uh, and that really benefits short-term memory and gives you this false impression that you've retained the information. But over time, that short-term memory, 24 hours, 48 hours, it's gone gone to never be returned. Uh, and unless you repeat the mass practice again and again and again, you're just never going to retain this stuff. And I read that and I remembered all these struggles that I had in medical school and then also the struggles I have in retaining my openings. Uh, openings have been a real challenge for me. My uh, prior coach had a fantastically developed set of openings that are really well-designed, well-thought-out. Uh, they, you know, E4 openings with gambits to teach you time but I could never remember more than like five, six, seven moves in. Wait a minute. What am I supposed to do here if the knight goes here or if the knight goes there? And you need to be really accurate. If you miss on a gambit or if you're playing the Grunfeld and you forget a move, oof, uh, you're, you're not, you're not going to do too well. It, 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 they are tight ropes to walk. And I found I, no matter how many times I repeated the, the moves, I couldn't get them right. And I think it was because I'm just doing mass practice. I'm not doing actual retention, not putting it in my own words, not doing some of the things that they talk about in this book. For anybody who wants to go read the book, it's free online, I suppose. You can find it as a PDF. They also have a website called Retrieval Practice where there's infographics that show it. But if you get the actual book, which I recommend, all you really need to do is read chapter one. And they put everything right in the front in chapter one and tell you kind of all of the information that they gleaned from their 10-year research grant. And it is pretty simple. You sit and you look at it and go, this can't work. But it actually does. Um, so for me, I've changed the way I study my, my openings. Uh, instead of new, wanting to know moves, I want to know plans. You give me a position, tell me why it's different than the other position, bishops here versus bishop there. What does that do for the plans? And that's what I quiz myself on. Uh, not that I want to go too deep into it, but I use flashcards now. Um, you know, give me a position. What's the plans here? That's how I study openings. I don't study openings on Chessable so much anymore. Uh, only then I use Chessable still as a resource of like, okay, wait, this is the, the proposed move. But I got to put it in my own words, uh, what the plans are. When I was back in medical school, not to crisscross, but I think it's appropriate, I was with a guy named Jeff Gaines. Dr. Gaines, um, his technique to study and retain was he made everything funny. Mm -hmm. He wanted to make it a joke. He wanted to make it funny for himself. And he was the best guy to sit next to in a lecture and yet the worst guy to sit next to in a lecture. I'm giggling and laughing to myself and trying not to call too much attention, but he keeps making everything funny. But and so he just retained it. It stuck. 
he's got a joke. He's got a connection to it. He's got a hook. Uh, and I, I wish I had uh, learned from him to do some of the same stuff. But he did what they recommend in chapter one, which is you make it personal uh, and then you make it yours. Uh, I I feel like I've gone off of our track, but uh, I, I... Well, I'm trying to think of uh, how I can make the Roy Lopez funny. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, really, you're just... Uh, I mean, you could connect it. Okay, so let me let me kind of summarize what they tell you in big, broad scopes before we go back to the Roy Lopez, because I got a thought in mind. Um, their assertion in Chapter 1 is that we don't understand learning. And I believe that we don't understand learning because we fool ourselves into thinking that our short-term memory, when we cram and fill up our short-term memory, we get the illusion of mastery, they like to call it. So the more you repeat it and the more you convince yourself, yeah, I know that, but you really don't. What we found in this study and what they put into a book, and they wrote as a book this way in particular because they thought it was so important they wanted to make it accessible to the uh, to everyday life, is that you have to allow some forgetting and then practice retrieval. Another way of putting it, um, I'm sure you've heard it from personal finance people. They tell you, you know, it's not how much you earn, it's how much you save. Um, in learning, it's not how much you learn, it's how much you retain. And if you can make a change in long-term memory, you've learned something. Any change that you make in short-term memory will disappear by the evening. So the focus of your work needs to be on changing your long-term memory, and there's a couple of ways to do it. Spaced repetition is one of them, and then interleaving different related topics is a surprising finding. Instead of focusing in on just one thing at a time, you're supposed to mix them in and kind of like change up your practice a little bit. Yeah, and they share all kinds of sort of... um anecdotes and studies that support the data um, in terms of uh, how interleaving, how studying different things, studying in different methods, using, you know, using different inputs in terms of like whether you're reading or watching videos or whatever it may be um, in terms of how that affects your learning. On the topic of uh, transferring things from your sort of short-term memory to your working memory. I found it effective that they talk about, like I found it like a useful construct to think of, they say, interrupt the process of forgetting. Like you yeah. should know that the natural path is you're going to forget something. And it's through testing and self-generation um, of ideas uh, that you can do that. And and I like what you said about like really trying to understand sort of vis-a-vis -vis openings, really trying to understand the narrative and I uh, I agree that that in some sense it's an admonition an admonition of the idea of just sort of rote reviewing lines. But on the other hand, there's the testing effect, which is the idea of like being frequently tested right. on things does help. So two things I would say on the chessable front is number one, if you are using it to um, to review openings, be sure to use all moves. You don't want to be just dropped into a position. You want to see the context from which it comes. And what you were saying, what you're doing with plans and uh, flashcards, I think even on a more simple level, one thing I'm going to do is when I'm reviewing opening lines, I'm going to go slower and every single move, I'm going to say to myself why the move is played. You know, yeah. you have you have this, um, and and if you don't know, then you've got to find out. You know, and sometimes it's like G6, I'm going to Fianchetto the bishop. You know, it's not earth shattering in all cases, but as you get more granular, you will have better reasons. And they, you know, they have a quote where uh, they say, if you're just remembering facts, there's a finite number of facts you can remember. But if you're elaborating and telling yourself stories, there's an infinite amount that you can remember. So humans uh, understand stuff in stories. And, and I got to be honest with you, this is how I understand medicine now. I mean, it, it's it just naturally kind of transitioned over 20 years of practice. But I don't remember sometimes what I ate for breakfast yesterday. But if you tell me 28-year-old male with, you know, back pain times three months, I know that guy. I saw that guy. Uh, it, it's it's kind of this weird thing where I'll remember the stories. Doctors will talk to each other about cases and stories. We don't talk to each other in, in, in data like, oh, potassium's five. You know, we, it just adds to this story. But we all want to know the story because it gives us, I think, the gestalt. And more than anything, if I was lacking anything in the openings or other stuff about chess, it's that sort of informed gestalt 
that if you get the story right, if you repeat the story right, if you kind of transfer that stuff into long-term memory, makes you better better able to handle the uncertainty, better able to handle kind of what's in front of you. Uh, it, emergency medicine is the land of interleaved variable practice. It just <laughs> no day is the same. You have to kind right. of be on your toes. And I find exactly the same thing with OTB chess, that every time I sit down, it's a unique game. It's a different game. I don't know what's going to happen. I have to have a working knowledge rather than specific, you know, rote knowledge. And the only way that I found with uh, chess to make short-term memory transition to long-term memory is some of this flashcard stuff, but also the story. What's the story of the position? What's the, what's the dynamic? Why is it that this bishop is better than that knight? You know what I mean? Like these kind of things, they become parts of the story you tell yourself because you need a hook to get it in long-term memory. You need this hook that you connected to something else already. And I, I don't know if it ever helps you, but the bishops uh, travel in the Roy Lopez makes me think immediately of, uh, uh, was it Mr. Toad's wild ride? You know, the, that book when you were a kid uh, kind of going all over the place. I mean, that bishop goes everywhere. Huh, yeah, I don't think but, I, I don't think I read that one, but I get the metaphor for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you're you're taking the bishop on this long tour so that it can finally get over here to free your knight to kind of move around. Now, I'm, you know, my rating, man. You're you, you're so much better at chess than I am. So uh, take it with a grain of salt, please. Huh. Well, I mean, I think it's useful no matter what the rating. Um, a few other things, a few other sort of chessic conclusions from the book. So on the topic of interleaving, um, you know, again, studying different, like mixed, intermixed themes, basically, it's, in my mind, an admonition of drilling certain types of tactics. I would say for those of you working on tactics, it's definitely um, supportive of the argument that you're better off just studying sort of mixed tactics. I think especially once you're, say, over the 1000 level, uh, it's better if you're not prompted for what type of checkmate. I also, what type of uh, puzzle you're searching for, you're trying to solve. They give some memorable examples, like uh, they give a baseball. I know we have a lot of international uh, listeners, but basically the idea is they tested a bunch of people trying to swing and hit the ball, a bunch of kids. Yeah, I love that story. And some of them, yeah, and some of them, they just threw the same pitch every time and others, they mixed the pitches that they're throwing. And the kids who they threw the same pitch every time actually hit better in practice um, because they were practicing that one thing. But when yep. they moved to, to game conditions, then the ones who had been getting the mixed practice all along and had developed the skill of needing to guess what pitch is going to come, in that case, uh, it, the kids who had had the mixed practice all along did better. And I think there's very clear chess conclusions from that. And I also feel like studies Absolutely. like that... There, as to your to what you were saying earlier, they're all arguments for playing, as I've talked about with Dr. Shabri and so many others, arguments for playing over the board because that's where you get the most mixed practice. I mean, my experience with people for 20, 25 years now is I can say people dislike two things. They dislike being vulnerable and they dislike uncertainty. And if you're in a board game, uh, if you're in a chess game against somebody who plays a move you don't know, you feel uncertain, you feel vulnerable. People don't like that. And this is one of those things that the book mentions. If you do these techniques, and we can get into them later, and I'll tell you the plan that I've, I've done for my chess. But if you do these techniques, you'll no longer have that illusion of mastery. You won't feel like you're kind of learning things, even though you are. The other thing is you may not feel like you've studied any one thing enough. Whereas when I was in medical school or in college or you, you know earlier with my chess, it was like, okay, I'm just doing tactics today. I'm just doing openings today, and I'm going to drill it until I get it. And that's not how it works. You're not trying to get better at practice. You're trying to get better at chess. And if you're trying to get better at chess, you're trying to get better at handling the vulnerability and uncertainty that comes with, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to try my best at trying to figure this out. I hope that makes sense to your listeners. Yeah, for sure. We'll be right back with more lessons from the book, Make It Stick. And we are back. Alongside interleaving, so we have the, the major themes as 
And one thing they say in the book, I'll give them credit, is they say at the beginning, like, this book is going to be repetitive, and it's it's by design, because they yeah. say that they want you to sort of be exposed to these ideas repeatedly. I also think they kind of were trying to expand it into a book, as you say, um, there, there's a, a bit of a bit of fluff there. But but I mean, the conclusions are obviously worth the price of admission. But so alongside retrieval practice, which is quizzing yourself and the testing effect and spaced retrieval and interleaving, you also have varied practice. And I don't know about you, mm-hmm. Nick, but I struggled a little bit trying to discern the difference between interleaving and varied practice, which they differentiate I, as separate things. I, I did too. Um, I felt like they were talking about the same thing, but they did separate the two. Uh, <clears throat> the idea of interleaving is that you take similar but related skills, you know, uh, similar but different skills, and you try to put them in the same practice situation. Um, and then the other thing that they did with this variable practice is you're switching it up a little bit. So you're kind of uh, creating a little, I don't know, chaos. Um, I'm not 100% sure that they're different enough that it would change my plan because I understood them to be essentially the same. When you're doing a practice, you're interleaving related skills, but you're also varying your practice. So my plan, maybe we can get into that. Do you want to get into uh, some of the summaries takeaway I took from the book, or do you want me to get into the plan that I sort of adapted out of, out of that? And we can, I think that will help explain interleaving versus variable practice. Um, let's go to the, the chess takeaways. Okay. So I, I sort of tried to come away with something that's going to hit variable practice, something that's going to hit spaced repetition, something that's going to give me an objective measure of whether or not I'm improving or not. And then something that's going to allow me to sort of elaborate and integrate on concepts. Those are the four ideas of these four sort of pillars of like how I'm going to go about learning things. Uh, and, and interleaving and variable practice fall under the elaboration and integration. So variable practice for me is really easy. I sit and I do some tactics for about 20 to 30 minutes. I'll stop, check my answers, and then I'm going to switch to calculation puzzles. It's real similar, but a tactic has a defined finite end. Okay, I'm going to win this night, or I'm going to get checkmate in three. Whereas a calculation is, I still got to do the same skills, but the outcome is not finite. It's not mate in three. It's what's the best move here? What's the best move for this position? Similar, but different. So I'll do a set of tactics, and then I'll do a set of calculation puzzles. And before you go on, like, what are the sources? How do you vary the sources? So um, I'm on step five uh, extra. So I'll do a step five extra puzzle where they tell me the theme. And then the other thing is I'll do uh, practical chess exercises by Ray Chang. Um, uh-huh. it, you know, I'll do a couple of those puzzles. I'll give myself five, 10 minutes per puzzle. And then I've got to come up with the answer. It could be a defensive move. It could be a stalemate. It could be. Yeah, uh, that's a great know. book for, for mixed themes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and you could just do the same, I suppose, if what you did was uh, Lee Chess or Chess.com puzzles where you just put it highly variable, you're going to get, you know, some calculation puzzles and you're going to get some tactics in there. But that those two sources, I can trust that I'm not only going to get tactics, but I'm also going to get the answer isn't clear and I need to calculate. So I'm going to test the two but similar related skills. Um, uh, does that does that help? Yeah, for sure. And And for listeners who are looking for particular resources for a particular level, I can probably... Uh, if you email or message me somewhere, send a few suggestions. But like I've mentioned many times, I'm a fan of Vochik Miranda's work at the you know 1800 level and up. And Ray Cheng is great for like just below that level. Um, I don't have a recommendation off I the live. top. Of, yeah, oh, <laughs> I uh, live below for, that level. And for below that, for say below 1500, I'm a big fan of uh, Jeff Coakley's Blue Book. It's called Winning Chess Exercises. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and even though it's for kids, it's not for kids. Um, anyway, so as to the, go, let's continue to the rest of your, uh, your revamped chess, uh, regimen. Yeah. So the space repetition, um, I use, uh, thanks to a couple of different people that have turned me onto it. I use this, uh, um, flashcard program called Anki. Yeah. And, uh, Anki's free, uh, unless you want the mobile version, then it's like 25 bucks. Um, I and the weird thing is, I found out later after talking with some scribes who are met, uh, on their way to medical school. Um, all medical students use Anki now. That, I mean, this oh, is what really? they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, they're 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 quick to the game, man. You know, uh, they they anything that'll help them out. 
So uh, Anki is a flashcard. And long story short, you can make different decks. So I made one of two decks. Uh, I made a, a, an opening deck where I get the typical position out of the opening. I want to know the plans, so I quiz myself on the plans. And the other one is I'll take my games, I'll analyze them for critical positions that I missed, and I'll put those positions in as uh, flashcards. You know, what's the, what's the best move for white or what's this here? It just allows me to kind of fill in some of the holes that I kind of have when it comes to missing things in games. Oh, look, there's a free piece and I didn't take it. Why didn't I take it? Uh, but these uh, positions that I get from my games are part of the, the space repetition where I'm practicing them again and again, trying to understand uh, what did I miss there or what didn't I see. Um, and I'll, I don't know, I'll let myself forget. I'll go a couple of days before I do it again. Um, and Anki's got this, um, space repetition software. So if you get it right, you can say that was easy or that was really hard, or I need to do it again. And so they'll kind of manage the space repetition for you, but it's a great way to sort of personalize what you're really working on. Um, you know, your, your tactic mistakes, your calculation mistakes, your opening line. Those are things that you can create on your own to kind of create this repetition cycle. And that space repetition really does stick things in, maybe yeah. not perfectly, but enough so that I felt like I knew exactly what I'm supposed to be doing this last time out when I did my OTB tournament. Yeah, let me hop in with one more point before we get we continue, because on the topic of space repetition, there was another chess conclusion that kind of occurred to me in rereading. Mm-hmm. Um, I touched on in my book, um, and I know Nate Solon and others have written about this, you know, the, the classic definition of space repetition is that you... You study things over increasing time intervals. You know, you're exposed to an idea. You don't think about it for a while, a week, and then you test yourself again. And as I said earlier, that helps you interrupt the process of forgetting. Um, but in the chess sense, you know, there's been this sort of school of thought starting with Michael de la Maza's rapid chess improvement. And then from there, uh, going on to the woodpecker method, where when you're trying to drill things or remember things, and this gets back to maybe how you studied medical school, I, I you know, didn't make it as far as you were in academics, but certainly like high school history, I was doing a lot of cramming, um, mm-hmm. where you're just trying mm-hmm. to like, uh, f- basically flood your brain for as shortest period of time as possible. And, uh, you know, in my book, I kind of tap danced around this question, but did sort of conclude that I was skeptical of the idea um, of doing tactics faster and faster, repeating them faster and faster. Um, and this reinforced that conclusion for me that you're better off when you're trying to remember something, you're better off leaving increasing space, not distant space is, uh, one of the many Uh, conclusions from this book. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I mean, I, I, so I wrote in my pod, I mean, my, my uh, blog on this, I wrote that when you cram, you, you write on short-term memory, short-term memory is almost like that Buddha board, uh, where, uh, if you've ever seen it, it's this little slate that you can write on with, um, with water and it creates this shape. So you can write on it and it's supposed to be this mindfulness technique because as the water evaporates, the, the, um, the, the image disappears. Okay. And your short-term memory is a Buddha board. You can write right. whatever you want to write on it. You'll be able to see it. But once it evaporates, it's gone. Yeah. It, it only by, by uh, sort of moving things in the long-term memory do you kind of etch them in stone. And the only way to make it into long-term memory, and this is true for chess too, is to make it personal. You make it relatable. You have to connect it to some prior knowledge. Uh, so something in the past that you recognize as similar to what you're learning now, you want to connect it. Or you like Jeff Gaines' technique. I'm just going to make it funny. I, I don't know how he made everything funny. Not everything in medicine is funny. I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> right. But uh, uh, he did really well. So I, his technique worked for him. But whatever hook you use, there needs to be some hook that you relate to it personally. And when it comes to that space repetition, that's the key is when you have this period of time between you reviewing, say, your opening, maybe you reflect on it. Maybe you think about it. Maybe you think about a game where you played and you're like, okay, maybe that didn't go well. But some form of relating to it in, in that information, relating to it in a different way gets the hook. Just cramming like you're talking about, which I've done as a medical student, I've done as, as a college student. Just cramming may get you through the test, but it won't get you long-term memory. And I remember in my uh, master's program, a really bright girl who would take the test and go, look, I've just learned how to take tests. I forget everything after the test, but I've learned how to take them. I can pass the test, 
but I've forgotten everything by tomorrow. And I'm like, that just doesn't seem like you're getting <laughs> your education's value, right. uh, you know, or the value of your time. And that's why I think this book is so applicable. We have limited time. If you're an adult, if you're an apparent, oh man, you don't have like hours to do this. You got like half hour, you got maybe an hour, you know, in, in different segments, you got to make maximum use of your time. And this is why I think the, the only book that's ever told me how to do that for other things. But immediately I thought, man, I got to change up how I'm doing for chess just so I can get maximum results out of the time that I got. Nice. And I have at least one more, but any other um, sort of major like changes to your chess routine based on this? Yeah. Yes. Uh, so the other thing, uh, elaboration and integration, how do I hook it? How do I get it? So every time I review something, say, um, uh, you know, Alex Beneza's uh, London course, because I switched to the London, uh, send your hate mail. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, Andres uh, Toth is coming for you. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. I know. Uh, but I mean, it's not that I'm just going to repeat the same moves. It's that I'm going to try to understand the position as best as I can. So I take notes. I, I do. I, I take notes. When he's saying this is the plan here, I'll put that in my Anki. I'll put the notes down and then I'll repeat that. Um, but I have to put the concepts in my own work. You know, I have to relate to it some way in my own knowledge so that it's not his knowledge, it's my knowledge. It's not his recommendations, it's my plan. And I hate to put it that way, but if you get, if you play other people's chess, you won't play very well. You got to play your own chess. Uh, you got to play what's coming out of you. And that's maybe style you want to talk about it. But really, at the end of the day, it's how do I relate to these concepts? Not, oh, somebody told me I'm supposed to play H4 here. It's, oh, I know I'm supposed to run this pawn down, trade bishops, open up the you know, the king side and attack there. Okay. Now, I maybe don't know the move specifically, but I know I need to get there. And I may make a mistake, but I know what my plan is. And, and just having a plan gives you initiative that oftentimes your, your uh, opponent will respond to. If you're playing with a plan and initiative, sometimes your opponent will do a mistake and go, oh, I got to respond to that threat. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But if you're playing somebody else's chess, if you haven't related to the information personally, haven't put it in your own words, you don't really connect to it. You don't really retain it. It's, oh, that's right, I'm supposed to do that. My experience as a physician, and this is going to sound bad, and it's not meant to be bad. I'm not being critical of people. People don't do what they're supposed to. People do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'll put it that way. It's, it's no different on the chessboard. You're going to do what you want to do. Not what you're supposed to do. You're going to do what you want to do. And you have to access that part of you to really educate your own intuition. Oh, that's what I do here. Uh, making it a story, elaborating, writing notes, doing, um, doing space repetition with the keys. And then last but not least is, and, and I, this one I love. People tell themselves stories, how they're either good or bad. You need objective measures. Where are you on the, on the tactics? Where are you on the, um, uh, on the, uh, USCF rating? And there's no other way better, uh, to get an objective rating than to go play OTB or to review with a, uh, you know, a game with a, uh, with a higher rated player, but it means playing games. It means taking risk. It means testing your knowledge in real world situation. And maybe you fail, but you learn something. You put it into your flashcards and you go on and you move on. And it's the process of learning. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail, but it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, well said. And, and that sort of gets to that feeling that you have OTB when you, it's like you can have drilled an opening a thousand times. Um, but when you sit down to play, you're like, uh, you know, why do they play that move? Or like, yeah. where do they go here? And oh, wait, what do I do gets, here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And that gets to one of the other major takeaways. And this is, again, something that Nate Solon uh, highlighted in a post uh, called uh, How How to Make an Opening Repertoire and How to Learn mm-hmm. an Opening in 2023, where he actually piggybacked off of, of your summary of, uh, of Make It Stick a little bit. But one thing he recommended that I thought was brilliant was when you're learning an opening, uh, open a blank Lee chess study and try to write down everything you know, like all yeah. the moves you know about the opening. So this idea of generating it from scratch, um, I think is the the one, the the most major change. And I haven't been doing a lot of chess lately, but I have been playing OTB. So I have been doing some opening prep and I'm finding it. I still use chessable like for sort of downtime, passive time and to sort of expose me to different ideas. 
but I'm finding it invaluable. You find out just how, like very quickly, you like where the bodies are buried, where, yep. you th- where you're not sure where, because that's when you find out, because with Chessable, you'll find out what moves you might not remember for your side, but then there are also situations where you don't remember where your opponent is supposed to go. Yep. Um, yep. And, and you, and as you were saying, you embrace the struggle, you know, you get, when you get to that moment where you're like, Oh, I thought I knew this, but I actually don't. You have to pretend like it's an OTB game and actually sit there and try to remember because it's that struggle of remembering where if you do have that aha moment, like that's going to stick, you know, yeah. whereas yeah. if you just, if you just look it up, it won't necessarily. So, so it's definitely changed the way that um that I'm approaching openings. Yeah, I mean, there's they have this entire chapter on on something like that called uh, embrace difficulties. That for your learning to be best, you have to have a desirable level of difficulty. What is you know the desirable level? How far out should your space repetition be? There's not data for that yet, but some point of it can't be easy. Right. Yeah. You can't just sit there and do tactics and get them all right. You need to be at a level where you're getting some wrong. Um, or if you're doing in your opening, sit down, challenge yourself, recreate the opening by hand on the board with the pieces just from memory and, and write down little notes. Oh, I don't know what to do here or I don't know what to do there. The next time you review your opening, when you go like, oh, yeah, this is that position I didn't know. Now you've made it personal. Now you've made a reason. You're motivated to actually find out what this person is saying and answer it for yourself. Uh, but in that respect, if you can make it personal, if you can make it difficult, you will learn. You won't feel like you're learning. You'll feel like you don't know. You'll feel like right. you haven't mastered it yet. You'll feel like, uh, and they go into this in the book, how it feels. It feels like you're not studying enough. It feels like you're not researching enough. It feels like you're not retaining enough. And yet somehow over the board, you go, oh, that's right. It, it works. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah. And one other highlight, one other point I just want to underscore um, is, and I briefly touched on this earlier, but they also did a study that, and actually way back when I did an adult improver interview with Dr. Uh, Vishnu Srikumar, who's also a cognitive scientist, uh, he had mentioned that it's a myth that there's like a a type of learner, someone who learns mm-hmm. better from reading versus someone who learns better from video uh, versus podcasts or whatever it might be. And I've mentioned on the pod and even wrote in my book, like I've always felt like I don't, I just can't pay attention when I'm watching videos. Um, and they basically say, you know, you may have your personal preferences, but there's no empirical evidence that people are sort of hardwired to learn certain ways versus others. Yep. And given what they say about interleaving, I'm certainly going to be like more open-minded about like, you know, if I'm studying an opening, I'll review it for a while and then maybe I'll pop on a video, you know, and like uh, even YouTube's if YouTube's a great listen- resource for that. I mean, have yeah. them explain the ideas that way. I mean, because you're just adding different avenues to get to the same place, which is increasing your understanding of the opening or increasing your understanding of tactics or you're increasing your understanding of strategy. There, there's no dominant way. And this is the one thing that I'll, I'll say um, I wrote about in in my my blog people tell themselves stories. We understand the world in stories. And they talk about it in this book about needing objective measures to guide yourself. Am I doing better? Am I doing well? Because we'll tell ourselves a story. Maybe that story is a positive one. Oh, I just used too much. You know, I, I played really well. Or maybe it's a negative one. I always use too much time. But the funny thing about people is they have a way of making those stories in their head true. So it's, it's really important that you spend some time challenging yourself beyond the level that you feel like you're good at. And you push yourself a little bit. You give yourself some grace to be bad, if you will, to uh, allow yourself to kind of make mistakes and then come back and try again. And you're going to find that actually caused learning. You're going to find that actually caused retention. It's the weirdest thing. Whereas before what we were taught And the story that we had about learning was that you don't want to convince kids that they can't. So you don't want to make it difficult. You don't want to uh, confuse them. So you want to really kind of just hone in on one thing at a time. And you don't want to um, turn them off to learning. So you want to give them a little bit of exposure and then repeat it. And they went right at this idea with a great example. In their research building, they went and tested 
all the researchers that were in that building, all the people that had spent years in that building. And they gave them a map and they said, show me where the fire extinguishers are closest to your office. And no matter how many years people had been coming into that office and passing by that fire extinguisher and seeing it again and seeing it again and being exposed to the same information, none of them actually ever cared or noticed it. So they never retained it. So they couldn't find it on a map. They go into that building every day and they can't find it. And if all we do in learning is repeat exposure, repeat exposure, repeat exposure, we will never retain it because it's not personal. We have no reason. Um, And this goes to a big theme that I've got about modern life. We don't have an information problem anymore like we used to. As a physician, I used to be an expert where if you wanted to know something about medicine, you got to come to me. We have a different information problem now. You don't have to come to me. You got tons of sources, tons of people telling you information about healthcare now. What you have now is a relevancy problem. Why do I care? Why should I care about what you're saying at all? Or why should I care about the information you're presenting me? We have a relevancy problem in chess. There's a ton of stuff to watch. There's a ton of information to go watch. There's too much. Really, the fix for learning the solution is solving the relevancy problem, and you're just going to have to make it personal. You're going to wrestle with it. You're going to work at it. You're going to struggle with it. You're going to be bad at it initially, and then you're going to get better at it. And the more you can make it personal, the more you're going to retain it, the more meaningful it is to you, the better your chess will get. That's what I took away from this book. Yeah, well said. We'll be right back with more lessons from the book, Make It Stick. And we are back. Well, I think we've hit the major chess themes. Um, I think uh, as we start to wrap up, maybe just highlight like any any few favorite quotes or anecdotes um, that we have as we sort of um, take a quick look uh, on a more granular level. Um, so as you said, the first chapter is called um, Learning is Misunderstood, and it's mm-hmm. kind of the whole the whole book encapsulated. They briefly make the cases for space repetition and interleaving um, against the idea of mass practice, a.k.a. cramming. Um, go wide, they, and they cite the, uh, they cite, uh, the idea of uh, flight simulators being great ways for pilots to yeah. uh, become better pilots, which again very clear parallel with with to me with uh playing otb you know um instead of like taking a test with all this information you need to know about which control is where for a pilot you're better off actually practicing doing the thing um so despite my recent conversation with grandmaster raven sturt and the success he's had without playing otb i still think the majority of people uh need to consider it a part of their training regimen um any anything in particular you'd like to highlight i yeah. one study i want to mention but go for, go for you go well, ahead. I mean, chapter one is the most important chapter in the book. And if all you did was just read chapter one, you'd get what you needed from it. But there were a couple of uh, summaries that I took in my notes um, uh, that lots of people, you know, practice repeated exposure and they avoid testing. And the funny thing is neither of those things work. You do need to test yourself. You do need to quiz yourself. You do need to put your knowledge to the test and and learn where your your um <laughs> learn where the bodies are buried to borrow your phrase. Uh learning requires acquisition and retention of knowledge which means you need that little hook you need to make it personal. Uh retention is improved when learning is effortful. If you struggle at it, you're working to struggle at it, you actually learn more. It may feel bad like oh I'm never going to get it, but careful of the story in your head. The effort actually makes you better. Um, and then integration is the really important thing. You got to integrate those key concepts and attach them to something that you know. Um, and after that, uh, I think everything else is second uh, second bit. But if you take that as gospel, if you believe that from their research, um, then you'll find that you've got to change up your chest study so that it's not repetition and cramming, but it's mixing things up and it's spacing it out and making it personal. Yeah. Um. An- another. F- favorite study of mine was was the beanbag one did did that (laughs) tell me about it okay so the beanbag one was basically if you're playing some game like cornhole where you're trying to throw a a ball through um you know through a hole at a fixed distance they had two two sample sets and basically one of them always practiced from the same distance and one practiced from say three feet and six feet or, or something like that um and uh the ones who practice at a different distance even if you're ultimately being graded at a single distance ultimately perform better and that was an 
another one where I think you can draw a chess conclusion. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you can you think of uh, what chess conclusion I might be uh, headed towards? Um, I'm imagining uh, I'm imagining tactics that you're you're switching up different tactics. Uh, but no, please tell me. I, I'm, oh, well, I'm I terrible at mind reading. I was thinking of time controls. Ah. Like like the importance of blitz as a training tool, rapid as a training tool. And if you look at the best players in the world, people like Magnus, like, yes, they played bullet a lot as kids, um, but also played blitz, also played classical. So I think this idea of you're just going to, you know, you're going to experience all the like, you know, you're going to experience needing to know the, the proper pacing for all of these. And it's going to make you better overall at the thing. Oh, it's um, funny you mentioned that because I forgot to include something that I do in my my uh, testing now. So I believe chess is a game of time decision making. That's what you need to practice is time right. decision making. So with my tactics, I time myself. I'm going to give myself 20 minutes to get as many done. Or when I'm doing the uh, the calculation, I, I got to stop after 10 minutes and I got to do the best I can. I can't you know, study it forever, but I'll put a time limit to my practice. I'll put it on the clock to kind of replicate the pressure of I've got to come up with the right idea in the time that I've got. Sometimes I get it, sometimes I don't, but I'm replicating the experience of being on the clock as time goes on. I have to think uh, um, uh, as, as best as I can with as much focus as I can. At least that's what I'm trying to replicate in the practice because my favorite study was the one that you mentioned earlier, the baseball players. Oh, I yeah. love that. So you have baseball players, you get 45 pitches and they gave one group uh, predictable pitches fastball for 15 curveball for 15 change up for 15 in that order and they gave the other group the 45 pitches some combination of fastball curveball change up and what i took away from that study is you don't want to practice at getting better at practice you want to practice getting better at the game right your practice needs to replicate the game experience because that's what you want to get better at that's what you want to repeat that's what you want to attune to well said um, well, I think we've hit most of the major themes. As I glance through my notes, a couple things we didn't mention that they highlight. Number one, growth mindset. Yes. Um, l- late in the book, they hit on this theme from the famed researcher Carol Dweck, um, where they, they basically support her work that, uh, that it's important to believe that you can, you can improve at something in, in order to do it. And obviously, they've, they've had studies where with, with like separated uh, uh, separated groups where they tell one kid, one group of kids that they did well because they're smart and another because they did well because they worked hard. And uh, the group that did well because they worked hard uh, has better outcomes in subsequent measuring. Um, memory palaces. What'd you think yep. of uh, the memory palace uh, diversion? So I, I just made me immediately think of, of all people, uh, Hannibal Lecter, because in the books, he's described as having something like that, where he just has this library in his mind, where he just goes to and remembers things. But the memory palace was just this really cool technique. All of a sudden, I was introduced to that I never knew before. What do you mean memory palace? And it's it, it's this really interesting mnemonic trick. The mnemonics do work. Uh, that's chapter seven you're talking about. So increase your abilities. One is the the mindset, two is a deliberate practice, and then three is these memory cues or mnemonics uh, that you can use, and the memory palace being one of them, uh, is a brilliant technique that I'd never heard of that I have yet to apply, but I would love to. Um, I have to memorize things like a 16-digit password because they make me change my password with frightening regularity at work. And <laughs> I, I, I have to memorize now 16 digits. And I will tell you, the repetition, I can memorize it now. I never used to be able to do it before, but I can memorize it. I don't know how, but it's something that I've worked on. I don't have a memory palace. It's just kind of the repetition, and I get it after about three or four times. Uh, yeah, but well, let me that, uh, bri- briefly explain what it is <laughs> for, for listeners. Um, and again, this is fairly tangential to the book, though they do yeah. dis- they do discuss it, as you said. I think it's either chapter six or seven. But um, basically, the idea is like if you're trying to remember a data set, whether it be like, you know, it could just be a, a, a sequence of numbers. Um, you associate it with an image and they, they tell you basically you could imagine walking into your childhood home and seeing like one number in one room and another number in the next room and then just being as detailed as possible with a visual memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has come up on the pod because I read the book, one of the books they referenced called uh, Moonwalking with Einstein, which is like a right. fun sort of memoir of the author. 
uh, becoming training to become a memory champion. I know we talked about it with Gear Vanderveld from Chessable, and I can't remember who else, but uh, I know Chessable has done some work around sort of uh, advancing this, like in in incorporating it into some of uh, their courses and their software. But basically, if you're really hardcore and you're trying to, you know, be think outside the box in terms of like how you remember opening lines, you could you could attempt to uh, you could read chapter six and uh, attempt to um, construct some sort of measure. No, memory chapter palace. seven. Chapter yeah, seven. Yeah. See, oh, I didn't yeah, do it. Memory. Yeah, that's OK. That's <laughs> um, all right. I, I got my notes down. Uh, nice. uh, beyond the memory palace, there were two chapters that I'd like to kind of highlight just as interesting for conversation. So the first one was uh, number six, uh, get beyond learning styles. You talked about it already. People will tell themselves a story that I'm a, I'm a learner this way or a learner that way. And it may just kind of be easier for you to access, but everybody's a, um, mm, uh, a, an equal opportunity learner. You can learn from a lot of different ways. You can learn from a lot of different angles. And not to kind of get stuck on, I only learn this way. You can learn in a lot of different ways. And actually changing up your learning style might actually help you a little bit kind of increase a capacity. Uh, and then the last chapter, um, which I thought was important enough to mention, uh, was chapter five, avoid the illusion of knowing. Um, and this is, I, I think, really hard for people. It's hard for me. You know, we, we want to convince ourselves that we know, so we slide back <laughs> to cramming and repetition. And it just doesn't work. It just gives us this feeling that they're aware of it, but it doesn't. And being people, we are subject to illusion. And the illusion is, I know my opening, or I know my tactics, or I would see an um, you know, a undefended piece in the game. You need objective feedback to tell you actually whether or not that's true. Game review is one of them. Playing OTB is another. Doing, having a coach go over a game with you would be a third. But really being aware of the stories in your head about your chess, whether they're positive or negative, whether you're testing them, whether you see it's true, really kind of trying to avoid this illusion that, yes, I know that. Um, and just kind of going back to the work of repeating, spacing out, interleaving uh, is, I think, the key takeaway for me from that chapter. Because I, man, I live in the world of stories, um, patient stories, chess stories, whatever you want. I, this is how I understand the world. And it just, it spoke to me a lot. Yeah. And that's the one where they mentioned the Dunning-Kruger effect, basically mm -hmm. the people's natural tendency to overestimate their level of knowledge in a, in a 80% particular... of people think they're an above average driver. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, excellent. Well, I think we've hit the major points. Uh, certainly, I think um, for chess players and, you know, for me, this book has just as much of an effect outside of chess, like the way I read uh, casually. I tend to like a whatever fiction, nonfiction. I went through a more diligent period of my life where I would always do an independent write up of the book when I was done just for my personal notes. So That's that if awesome. I was so that like five years later and when I was looking at that book, I could say, well, I can't remember off the top of my head what this book is about, but at least I can go back and look at my thoughts. Um, and unfortunately I stopped doing that at some point. Um, but this definitely reinforced my need to do that sort of thing. And they even talk about just like the the willingness to just ask you like idle moments ask yourself you know like uh what was that such and such book about you know what was that podcast about what is the uh you know the briar variation what are the main ideas of the yeah. briar variation like whatever it what may do i do be. if uh you know it's uh, e4 c6 uh um d3 Ugh. yeah what do i do then you know right. uh, yeah uh just kind of thinking about it uh you know i, I it, it reminds me of my sister uh, my sister had I'm not speaking ill of my sister, but everybody's got one of these family members where the house is a is kind of like chaotic mess. Or when she was a kid, you know, her room was a chaotic mess. But she would always tell me, I know where everything is. Right. You know, and, and memory is in relation. And she did. She knew where everything was. She knew where she right. had placed it last. Um, the weird part about our modern life is your phones. I'm old enough to have to remember that I had to remember phone numbers before. I don't anymore because my brain relates it to the phone. And this is how our brains work. If you remember where you place something, if you remember the story, you remember where the information is, that's how your brain works. You with the write-ups. I don't remember the, the, the book, but I remember that I've got it over here and I know how to find it. Yeah. Half of the time as a physician, I don't know the answer, but I know where to find it. 
Right. And I think that's an important insight into the way our memories work is it's not, you know, crystal clear. Oh, yeah. E4, E5, blah, 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 blah. Um, it's it's in stories. And that's where I placed it in relations. And that's this book really hammered that home for me. Excellent. All right. Well, Nick, thank you for, for sharing your both chess and uh, non-chess experiences. Um, and uh, listeners, again, be sure you're sub to Nick's blog. He's a busy guy, but sharing a lot of uh, valuable information and reflections. It's called Chess in Small Doses. I'll link to that and anything else we mentioned. One other housekeeping item. Um, I don't... Uh, I don't have a current plan for the next book recap pod. I have a couple author interviews coming up that are going to slow me down, but I'm hoping it'll be maybe two months and not six months. We'll see. Um, Nick, uh, thanks again. Any closing, uh, any closing thoughts? Oh, I just, uh, really grateful to be on your podcast again and to share, uh, uh this information. I hope the adult improver community and the chess players out there, uh, find this stuff useful and, and apply it and get better at chess. Yeah, yeah. And let me know, listeners, what you thought, because this this is the first non-chess book. So um, I, I would appreciate uh, your your uh, honest perspective on uh, how useful that is compared to the many chess books that can be discussed. Yeah, I was I would say this is the first book I read where finally somebody talks about how I can study. Yeah, the, the how of studying chess rather than the what. Uh, and I, I would recommend it for that. Okay, excellent. All right, thanks, Nick. Have a, have a good day, and uh, we'll look forward to reading about uh, your thoughts on your blog. All right, until next time. Good luck okay. with your chess. Thank you. Take care. Podcast Network.